to QAV. This is episode 547. We're recording Tuesday, the 29th of November, 2.14pm Brisbane time, 3.14pm Sydney time, where you are presently, but uh, heading back to Cape Shank this week. Is that right, Tony? Yeah, correct. Via Melbourne. Going to play some golf in a charity event. Oh, lovely. Well, it's been a crazy old week in uh, the stock market. Tony, stock market's been up. Had a good couple of weeks and then it sort of crashed this morning or went backwards yesterday and down this morning and now back up this afternoon. It's, uh, I don't know what's going on out there today, why it's bounced back up today. Do you? <laughs> Visual no, joke no idea. from Tony there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You had to see that one again. <laughs> All right. No, I don't. Sorry. And nor do I care. It's just this is the way the market works. It just goes up and down. Well, speaking of up and down, somebody, I think it was uh, one of our club members, Stephen, asked me the other day if I had a spreadsheet of your historical returns. And I, I don't have a spreadsheet of the full list, but you have sent me a partial list before, which I sent to him. We've talked about it on the show before, but I thought it was a good time to revisit it because I think it's a good reminder for people that even the great Tony Kynaston has his bad years (laughs) as well as his good years. And that's how investing works, right? There are bad years, there are good years, and it all balances out over the long haul and the good years outweigh the bad years, but there are always bad years. Absolutely. And this isn't like as bad as it gets either, by the way. This is... (laughs) pretty tame in in the history of the stock markets. Yeah. So I've got your annual numbers going back to FY08, but obviously you have numbers that go way back before that. But I think from memory, it's a bit hard for you to track your numbers going back prior to the GFC or something. No, I've got some there. It gets murkier and murkier the further back I go because of um, poor record keeping on my part and mixing money for, you know, other things like buying houses, et cetera. You didn't know back then that one day you'd be doing a podcast about this and you'd have to, <laughs> people would want to know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had crystal balls back then and I, I thought uh, I need to invest in podcasting. <laughs> well, the numbers that I've got from 2000, for, just for people's um, interest, FY08, <laughs> this is the first year of the GFC, minus 19.9%. Let me stop you there. I'll go back a few years before that because I know okay. I'm pretty sure one listener's going to plug all these numbers in and work out the CAGA for it. <laughs> so going back five years prior to that, 10% up. What year is that, 03? Oh, I don't have those numbers in front of me, sorry. So probably, yeah, financial okay. year 03. Up 10%. Next year, up 98%. So huge year then. Whoa. The following year, up 35%. Yeah. 384 up. 41.4 up, then what you've got in that list, so minus 19.9, so nearly minus 20, minus 31. So you can see in the lead-up to the GFC, some really stellar returns and then about half given back in the GFC. But then the following year after the GFC, up 111.5%, so big kick out of the GFC. 111.5 or 115 uh, 115, sorry, you're right. Yep, my typo, I'm sorry. 115. The year after that, up 32, then 0.8, 39%, 6.5%, 6.6%, 14.3%, 12.4%, 1.2%, minus 
14.2%, then FY21, 19.4%, and then FY22, the last year just gone, down 17. So a dip there. And the reason for that down 17 is something, well, what changed in FY22 for us as a, I guess, a family is Jenny stopped working full time and we stopped living off her wage. And so I'm paying the mortgage and living off dividends, which is taking probably $800,000 to a million out of the portfolio. So it's affecting performance because these numbers are after tax or after costs. And I haven't gone back and tried to break apart what's what and had added before cost position, but that's that's how it is. So before someone does all the cal- the CAGA calculations, I've done it. So all those numbers, if I plug them into Excel, get to 16% as the CAGA over that time period. But if I take out that last year, it's actually 19% over that time period. I may have to sort of break things up from now on if we can, we will continue to have to live off the dividends and pay the mortgage and all that rather than reinvest it or have the dividends cover the mortgage payments. So that's something I'll work out in time. Just send Jenny back to work, Tony. What are you doing? Well, that's the easiest one. I mean, there's a vacancy at Bank of Queensland now, apparently. So <laughs> can't talk about that. But yeah, it's. Can't uh, talk about that yet. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mention the war. But, uh, yeah, just tell Jenny, you know, she has an obligation to the podcast that she goes back to work because it's just making things too confusing for your bookkeeping. Well, the longer-term plan is to sell this place and pay off the mortgage and then buy something cheaper and then, you know, live off the dividends and keep reinvesting. So, But we haven't done that yet. Oh, you should have done that before the real estate market crashed, Tony. Oh, tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to. But it's probably a bit too soon for us because we want to find out where Alex settles down because I want to go and live where she's putting roots down, which is probably going to be Melbourne. Yeah. We thought it would be foolish to sell this place in Sydney and move to Melbourne and then find out she gets offered a job in Sydney So once she finishes studying. She works for QAV, so she'll work wherever we tell yeah. her to work. <laughs> <laughs> that may well be the case. <laughs> you did a pulled pork on GNG a couple of weeks ago, Tony. No, I didn't. That was months ago. What? No. G&G. When, yeah. When did you do GNG? God, last year. No. I don't remember talking. It's Grange Engineering, isn't it? Yeah, November, dude. You did it on the episode 543 on the 3rd of November. Really? Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I said to you at the time, as I always do, <laughs> don't put the kibosh on it. Well, you put the kibosh on it because G&G, <laughs> it took a while, took a couple of weeks before the full effects of it. When are these CEOs going to learn? They've got to pay their, <laughs> pay their protection money. <laughs> <laughs> pay, the, pay the VIG on their protection money, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, that uh, I had to sell that this week, G&G. Accidents happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I told you, rule from now on, no pulled porks on stocks that I own. Like just, uh, you know, let's uh, check with me before you do a pulled pork. Oh, sorry about that. You don't own DDH, do you? I do. Yeah, it's in the portfolio. Oh, it's in the dummy portfolio, the I think. Yeah, that's I know. today's pulled pork. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just go sell it before you do the pulled pork. Yeah, okay. I wanted to ask you about SKT's consolidation. Well, I'll not talk to you about it. Maybe just highlight it for listeners. So, if anyone out there happens to own SKT, they had this thing happen uh, in the last couple of weeks where there was a capital return and uh, some sort of a consolidation where 
Out of every six shares you owned, you lost one. This is Sky Network, by the way, for folks at home, SKT. Nevexa automatically included the capital return in our results, but didn't do the consolidation. But the share price jumped. So for a week or two there, it said that SKT was up 120% for us in our portfolio, which looked good, but it wasn't right. I checked with Navare at Nevexa and I had to do the um, consolidation manually in the end as it reduced it down. It's still been really good for the portfolio that we hold it in, one of the light portfolios. It's been a corker because it was like $2.40 a share they uh, paid out. It was crazy. Oh, wow. Like we got a ton of money thrown into it as a result. Anyway, I just wanted to let people know if you own Sky Network, just check that your whatever reporting tool you're using has got both the the capital return and the consolidation in there. SGM, Tony, I added it to a portfolio this week, a lot portfolio, and then you emailed me and went, you went, you did this thing. Visual joke. We're back to the same visual joke from earlier. You said, oh, it's iron and steel scrap, which we had talked about and I'd forgotten. I need a better sort of knowledge base of these things to go through everything you've said about every stock that's like this <laughs> and make sure it pops up when I come to look at it. Because we weren't tracking. So it's a scrap metal recycling company. Sims. It used to be called Sims. Sims. It still is, I think. Is it? Okay. Yeah. I know it changed its name. Yeah. And we weren't, in our buy list, we weren't tracking iron and steel scrap. So this wasn't showing up as a commodity adjacent, commodity affiliated stock. But I fixed that now. So starting from next week in the buy list, it will iron and steel scrap is something that we will measure and it will show up against SGM. I think from memory, when we talked about skilled, I may even have done a pulled pork on it. Skilled? Yeah, uh, sorry, Sims. We decided just to use the iron ore chart for it, I thought, because the scrap has a almost a one-to-one correlation with the iron ore chart. I thought you said it didn't map to iron ore, but that week we did that show, Alex was too busy, didn't do a transcript, so uh, okay. I didn't have a transcript okay. to check. <laughs> I saw it was in the notes, but I, didn't, I couldn't see what uh, you okay. actually said, but I might have to go back and listen to it. Technically, you're doing the right thing. You use the proper graph, which is the, what's it called? The Turkish 80-20. yeah. So that is the right graph. So if you, if you can be bothered putting that in the buy list, then that's fine. But I think I think we did say the iron ore would be a good proxy for it, iron ore graph. So I sold it anyway because iron and steel scrap is a, a Josephine or, or a cell, I think a Josephine. So we, we scrapped that and I replaced it. But yeah, it's just another one of these sneaky ones. Like, what was the one a while back? Um, oh, the, go, the one's always going out of business, SGD or SDG, I think. Oh, Sunland Group, yeah. There's all these ones that we I have to flag somewhere in the buy list, and I'm I'm developing systems to remind myself of that, but it's just it's too complicated. There's too many things going on. Speaking of things going on, Warren Buffett just uh, donated $750 million to his children's various charitable endeavours on Thanksgiving Eve. He said, this is the ultimate endorsement in my kids and it's the ultimate statement that my kids don't want to be dynastically wealthy. They just want to be wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not di- like who doesn't want to be dynastically wealthy? I want to be yeah, dynastically right. wealthy. I think the kids are pretty wealthy, but they just don't want to manage hundreds of billions of dollars, I guess. Right. 
No, the kids are pretty good. They're pretty even-headed. I mean, the one's a farmer, one's a musician, a, a composer of music uh, for movies, and I think the daughter is is pretty heavily into welfare issues and welfare causes. So, yeah, no, the kids are pretty level-headed. But they all get, I mean, they're all still rich. What Buffett's doing is fantastic, and I don't want to make light of it, but the kids are well off. I thought I read years ago that he said his kids weren't getting any of his money. Jeez, I think the classic line was, I don't want to give them too much so they don't have to work, but I want to give them enough so they can not have to work hard or something like that. They all got money along the way, and that set up, like I think that may have bought Buffett's Junior's farm and all that kind of stuff. So, And I think from time to time, you know, he says that, and then he's, you'll see, a, I can certainly remember one year he gave them all 10 million bucks. So, there are, you know, he's given them money along the way. And I wouldn't be surprised if they also get paid by these funds that he's donating to. But be that as it may, yeah, they're not getting $100 billion each out of the Buffett fortune. He's giving it away. So it's a good cause. Well, there you go, $750 million. Apparently, this is the first year in a long time he didn't give any to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. <laughs> Why is that, Cam? <laughs> well, they've had a few issues, a few, few challenges in the last year. I don't know if you've <laughs> noticed. A few PR issues. Yeah. The RBA has been taking a lot of heat, Tony. It has. Not all of it your fault, but uh, you've, My been, fault. you've been sticking the boot <laughs> in to the RBA. I'm supporting the review. Dr. Lowe apparently some, half apologised. I saw this article in The Fin this morning <laughs> by Stephen Hamilton, economist. Sorry you listened isn't good enough, Dr. Lowe. The most important tool of a central bank is its independence of action, which has to be earned through credibility over time. Cracks in it can start to grow. Call me crazy, but I'm sorry if people listen to what we'd said seems a rather puzzling <laughs> communication strategy for an institution for which credibility is its most valuable asset. And yet these were Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe's exact words as he appeared before Senate estimates on Monday morning. An unprecedented admission in principle, but a specific choice of words that spoke to both Lowe's inability to fulfill even his most basic functions and deeper dysfunction within the central bank he leads. <laughs> We're sorry if you listen to us. <laughs> well, you know what the issue is there, and I, I suspect this is, I don't know what the legal situation is, but it could be potentially a start of a legal defence too because central banks, ever since Mario Draghi came out and said he'd do whatever it takes to keep the economies afloat during the GFC and cut interest rates to negative, back to zero, and then the banks went negative. Ever since then, it's been a, a core part of the central bankers' armory to talk about what they think the economy is going to do and try and guide it. So what Philip Lowe did 18 months ago, he came out and said that he reckons interest rates will be low for as far as he could see, at least the next 12 months, which meant people relied on that and went out and borrowed more money to pay for COVID-inflated asset values, particularly houses, and now interest rates have risen. And, and so they're being squeezed by uh, by higher interest rates on their mortgages than, than they thought they'd have to pay, at least in the short term. And there's been some talk by some commentators that a class action should be raised against him for saying that. And a central bank or the head of a central bank carries a fair bit of weight in the community. It's not like it's a Viagra commercial where there's, at the end of it, they go, side effects may include 
da, 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 you know, leaky bowels and <laughs> hair loss and all the rest of it, like you see on the US commercials. The central banker doesn't get up and say, I think interest rates are going to be low for as far as I can see. Asterisk hash. <laughs> My crystal ball's broken. It's like, you know, you're meant to rely on, on that person. And so uh, he's he's destroyed all all of that trust and credibility in, in uh, being able to influence what people do by just saying something, not changing interest rates, um, just saying people follow what he says and that's wrong. He should apologise for it. He shouldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, we had that email... Um, exchange with Steve Mab, where there was another article about how economists are, pa- are bad at predicting, which is something I'm all, always on about. And then um, I sent him an article which said that the the central bank, the Reserve Bank in America, has 400 PhDs <laughs> as, on the payroll. So <laughs> it gets worse. So you just can't, you cannot rely on anyone to forecast. Just get that through your heads, people. You cannot rely on forecasts. And particularly economists who forecast because there's almost like this mental condition where they they get to the stage where they go, oh, I understand the economy now. And that means that next week it's going to do this. It doesn't work that way. It's inherently unpredictable. Just get that through your heads. And even if you have 400 economists with PhDs on the payroll, I reckon it probably means you're going to be 400 times worse when you try and predict the future. Just can't be done. So the basic rule is don't listen to any forecasts, don't factor in any forecasts, just play the ball. Correct. Play the card that's dealt. Absolutely. It's a hard thing though, because like, you know, like a couple of years ago when there was so much hype around BNPL stocks and crypto, it's the same with forecasts. I mean, we're saturated with these things in the financial media. We're saturated with people forecasting, people predicting, people telling you this is going to happen, that's going to happen, you've got to get in, this, you've got to get It takes a, a certain level of fortitude, I think, to just go, nah, ignoring all of that, just going to stick with what I'm doing and good luck to everybody out there. <laughs> but um, <laughs> That's right, but it's not just ignoring it. It's like, you know, I, I grappled with trying to value BNPL stocks and I didn't really try hard with crypto because I could see what it was, but I just took what I know, which is how to value things, and applied it to this new paradigm because this time it's different, and I couldn't do it, so I ignored it. It's it's not like my fortitude isn't being strong enough to turn off that stuff. It's being smart enough to say, here the way, here's the way I value an investment, and it spits out zero for this particular investment or worse than zero, so I just ignore it. But you're right. I mean, it's turning off the noise. I mean, it's a bit like if you look at a lot of the industries in in society, they're designed to make up for some kind of personality defect that we all have. You know, the weight loss industry, the hair loss industry. We also have the the future is unpredictable industry, but we're going to try and sell you something which cures that problem for you. It's just I put them all in the same camp. Yeah. I mean, one thing that we can predict, though, to a certain degree, of confidence is that the market will recover at some point. That's a really good point, right? So we're using past experience. We read out that whole list of returns and we, so we've seen the market go up and down. We've seen our returns go up and down. We're combining the fact that we've seen it before with the fact that we don't expect, barring nuclear events or whatever, we don't expect climate change in the next 50 or 100 years. We don't expect businesses to shut down en masse tomorrow. So we expect 
when I wake up tomorrow, I'm still going to look out the window and see the CBD in Sydney. You know, David Jones is going to be there, MICE is going to be there, all the investment banks are going to be there, ANZ is going to be there, Combank is going to be there, Qantas is going to be there, da-da-da-da-da-da. And they're still going to keep growing. They're still going to need capital. So my prediction isn't that, <laughs> you know, that any one of those companies I just read out is going to do better than the other one. It's that when I wake up tomorrow, they're going to be there, right? That's all I'm predicting. And that's just like the sun is going to rise tomorrow. It's been that way for hundreds of years. It'll continue to be that way until something very drastic happens, which is unpredictable. So I can rely on it. It's a reliance rather than a prediction is probably a better way of saying it. I rely on two things, that past performance indicates future performance and that barring unforeseen cataclysmic events, the world tomorrow is going to look like the world today in a broad sense. But uh, beyond that, like history, and we can go back, you know, 100 years of, of recorded stock market returns, history teaches us that these things go in cycles. There are good years and there are bad years and there have always been good years and bad years and we're having a bad year, so therefore we think there will be a good year maybe next year, maybe the year after, but certainly. Maybe next week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the market's up since September, right? Like uh, I've been saying this for the last uh, couple of weeks, looking at the people who capitulated at the end of September who started uh, you know, at the beginning of the previous September when the market was at its peak and then capitulated at the this September when the market was at its bottom and then it picked up in uh, October, November, the market's up, right? That's the other thing too. Experience tells me that when people capitulate, it's probably getting close to the bottom. May not be, but again, it's my experience is that capitulation is a sign that things are about to get better usually. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's unfortunate for them, but fortunate for us. Hey, it's just basic maths. I mean, nothing's going to go up with a you know, straight line car. There's too many inputs into the economy to make things continually go up at 10% year on year. They're going to, to give you that average and, and knowing that the economy is going to oscillate and, it, and over time it's going to go up, it, yeah, it's got to have periods of underperformance and then periods of outperformance to catch up. It's basic maths. So the bottom line is don't listen to predictions about the economy, even when it's coming from the uh, RBA. Governor of the Reserve Bank of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. And we'll put him in the class that he belongs in, which is he's an economist. So, yeah. <laughs> don't listen to economists. Don't listen to the Liberal Party in Victoria. Uh, <laughs> don't listen to Scott Morrison when he says... Oh. <laughs> Oh, there's nothing, nothing to see here with all of my secret uh, portfolios. It's fine. He's getting, uh, what are they giving? Censured. 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 Yeah, today or soon. Yeah, big deal. As if that's going to hurt. <laughs> it's like people's front of Judea. <laughs> <laughs> this will show them. <laughs> we'll pass a motion. <laughs> Just speaking of uh, more portfolio stuff, so... I had a chat this morning with another club member. I'll give her a, uh, I won't call her Bob. I'll call her um, Sally, Bob and Sally. Sally wanted to walk through her portfolio with me just to make sure she's not doing anything obviously wrong. Now, the challenge is, well, the first thing I do with these people when they say, hey, can we, can you have a look at this with me? Is I look at their portfolio returns over whatever period they've been investing with QAV. And then I look at our dummy portfolio over the same period, because my thinking is that over the same time frame, 
if you're following the rules, then our performance should be roughly similar over a set period of time, right? There'll be some anomalies, but it should be, yeah, should be within the ballpark. And in Sally's case, I think um, it's only been going for about six months with QAV. I think in that six-month period, our portfolio is down about 5%, but hers was down about 15%. So I was like, oh, well, that's that's dramatic. We should have a look at what's going on. But when I was looking at her uh, transaction history, she seemed to be doing a pretty good job selling stuff when she should have sold it. Like there's like at the 10% level, 10, 11, 12%, there's a couple of anomalies where she got out a bit slowly, but most of it was pretty good. But it was really tricky because you're looking, I think she was she was uh, tracking it in ShareSite. You look at the stock uh, where they have like the summary of the performance of each stock. And there was one, I think it was um, Bendigo Bank, I think. It said she'd lost 25% on Bendigo. But when we drilled down into the transaction history, it was only about 12%. But ShareSide are annualizing that. So uh-huh, right, okay. <laughs> you lost 12.5% in six months, so that's 25% over a year. Oh, it makes really? it really hard to run your eyes down over a, a list to see, you know, where it's going wrong. So anyway, I asked Sally to check with ShareSite about how they're calculating these and we're going to have another session on it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was just annualizing numbers makes it a little bit – I mean, Navex annual, annualized our numbers as well, but it makes it a little bit tricky for me to figure out where people might be going wrong. But um, I was just wondering if you had any thoughts or insights on how to do that. I think from memory, probably thinking of ShareSite, which is the product I use, but um, Navexa probably has a, a like a sold securities or a performance report that you can probably run and get the actual buy price and sell price for a security or buy price and current price. And then you can work out what the performance is without annualizing it. Well, that's what I suggested to Sally will do. I said, send me a full list of the transaction history and I'll drop them into a spreadsheet and run some analysis over it. But there was another crazy one, like GRR, I think she had, where when I broke down the transactions, she actually made a profit on it, but it was saying she lost 52%. But again, it was, <laughs> it was like, if you look at it in a six-month period, I think she bought GRR like in January and got a dividend in March, but her portfolio was only like fully invested in sort of uh, May. You know, she had a 15 or 20 stocks or whatever. So when ShareSite look at the last six months, like six months ago, GRR was riding at a very a massive high. It was like at its peak and then it collapsed. So if you look at it in just a six-month period, she lost 52%. But if you look at actually her transaction history with GRR going back to January, she made a profit <laughs> on it. Wow. But if you just look at it from May onwards, which is what ShareSide does, if you say, just give me my portfolio performance in the last six months, it goes, you lost 52% on GRR. Uh... She didn't. She made a profit on GRR. But, you know, some of that came, dividend came earlier and she bought it a lower rate. It's really hard to, you know, get some clean numbers on these things without doing it yourself, dropping it in an Excel. Anyway, I just wanted to flag that for people to be careful when you're looking, because I know for Ali, she she was like, oh, oh God, that, that makes way much more sense. And I get caught out on it as well all the time. These annualized numbers over short timeframes, they extrapolate what that profit or loss would have been if it had continued that trend over a year when that's not what's happening, you know? Anyway, yeah, heads up for people out there uh, when you're looking at your numbers, 
take into account the annualization of uh, profits and losses? It's good that you're there with your experience to be able to do a sanity check on those things because these tools are so powerful. I've fallen into that trap myself using ShareSite just for running a report and going, okay, that's doing really well or that's not doing very well. But you've got to drill down and work out if that doesn't look kosher to you, just try and work out why. Is it the reporting period? Is the the way that it's calculating CAGR or whatever? Uh, speaking of portfolios, our dummy portfolio as of today, uh, since inception, is up f- nearly 16%, 15.78 versus the STW up 7.5%. So, again, tracking well, we're about double the index over that period of time. All things uh, as they should be, Tony. <laughs> Good job done. Let's go. <laughs> What have you got on your list of things to talk about, TK? A couple of things. So it's uh, AGM season. So we've had a few AGMs for some biolist stocks. And I noted that Qantas had a its second upgrade in, in about a month, which is um, Qantas is on the biolist and I own it. So happy days for me, which is good because it costs so much to fly with them. So <laughs> I can see how their, their profits are increasing. But anyway, Qantas has had an upgrade, and I think you posted on Facebook, CLX had an upgrade, CTI Logistics also had an upgrade. Boom, boom times for people who own CLX. It's had a great week. Yeah, right. So, yeah, so it it can happen at this time of the year that the companies have had enough trading now for this financial year to be able to confidently predict whether they're going to be up or down at the end of the financial year. So that's good. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, you know, while he's not, we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. That's it. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. you find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129218.
Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.